Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through all the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. in Italy, where Tony was drinking up wine with the mob, while a pro rustled up some demons. Nick Cage started himself in Runfield, while Frank Ocean copyright claimed himself, as Suzuma had a bunch of weeaboos wanting to be a chair. As always, I'm your co-host, Arturo Surita, and joining me as the East Coast key holder, it's Zachary Shevich. Now, the thing is, you haven't seen Suzuma, so you don't even know what that's supposed to be. But <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'll hold it regardless of the Zach. Uh, it was an eventful weekend with a lot of movies, uh, many of which were in theaters this week. Uh, I was surprised how many times I went to theater this week. And one of the ones I don't even have on the list, Doom Generation from Sundance, came out this past week. I got to see it at the Music Box. Bro, that thing nice. was huddled up. I don't know if they're playing screenings for you over at uh, like IFC or whatnot. Yeah. I think but somewhere that, in the city they've they've got the uh, uh, what do they call them restoration screenings of them. Yeah, because it's the uncut uncut version that premiered at Sundance, and I mean they had people hey, out you for had movies it right. that came IFC out in 1995. Center. Yeah, so uh, we had the chance to catch a lot of movies. You were able to catch a lot of shows this time around, so we do have a jam packed one. Yeah. with movies, TV, all that good stuff. But overall, how was your weekend, dude? Uh, it was all right until I, I pinched a nerve in my back. I, I've been like incapacitated for, for most of the weekend. And, uh, that's, I guess, why I, I couldn't make it out to uh, as many movies. But I spent some time laying flat on my back with, with uh, the TV on. So I, I caught some stuff as well. But yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more pain than I wanted this weekend. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm working through it, right? We're, we got a battle through for Weekend Must Watch. Hey, we got it. We're always here delivering all of the new stuff in theaters, on demand, virtual, everything that's out for you to watch, ranking everything from good to bad and everything in between. So let's get into it. Since we do have a couple of movies, like I said, that have premiered in theaters, and honestly, I think I gave them all the same rating. It was a pretty decent theater day uh, this weekend because you had a lot of cool. movies that were kind of straddling the line of being mature yet goofy yet we're trying to kind of say something i think there was a good mix of substance between a lot of the stuff uh the first one i want to begin with is a movie called renfield this is a film that's been advertised for a while because how can you not be excited for a film where he's practically playing himself uh mind you it is renfield so it's one of those movies where you i came out of it kind of complaining like damn i really want to see more nick cage dracula in a movie where it's called Renfield. And so obviously I'm going to get Renfield's story, but did you ever see right. the original Dracula? 1931. Uh, no, actually. 
No, I, and I I'm, know that at least uh, Cage is a big fan of, uh, uh, what is it, Dr. Caligari as well. Yes. So he, he's got a, that, that appreciation for the genre as well. Um, so I'm sure I'll, he was extremely excited to wear the the fang-tipped he lived that. teeth, yeah. fake teeth. Bro, they were releasing a bunch of like clickbait articles. He got so upset because they were telling him that he was method throughout the whole thing. He was still Dracula in between. He goes, no, I was not. It's just the teeth. And it's clickbait, <laughs> it's clickbait, it's clickbait. But I can't imagine being on that set and the man still dressed up in the amount of prosthetics that they put him in. Uh, to me, he's the standout. Mm-hmm. The other half of the movie is Nicholas Holt playing the assistant, as you know, in the Dracula lore, who, you know, serving his master, but then realizes he's going to the support group and realizes, like, oh, he's kind of being owned, he's a subordinate, uh, and he kind of wants to be his own individual. It's warm bodies, bro. Honestly, whenever Dracula's mm-hmm. not on screen, it's warm bodies, light, which isn't a bad thing, because I like warm bodies. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it really relies on uh, Dracula being on screen. Even, like, the entire credits is just him doing poses as Dracula. So anytime that he appears, uh, I would highly recommend the movie. For me, if you like Nick Cage doing his Nick Cage-isms, he brings it in here to a beautiful degree. Uh, to me, that's worth the junior price. If the trailers didn't sell you, then I can't say that the movie, you know, you're going to sit down and the movie's going to be anything different. But I like the fact that they went hard R. If you're not laughing at some of the jokes in this movie, which I think I think is pretty funny, um, mm-hmm. you will have horror elements that make up for it, right? So it, Yeah, I heard it's, it's extremely gory. In the funnest way possible. Dude, there are right. shots where this man, like, rips arms apart. And all of it's out in the trailers. Like, they don't even care about that stuff. He rips two arms to beat people up with them. There's a shot mm-hmm. where someone breaks a bone and you see the inside of the bone cracking in real time. I kind of liked it. I was surprised by it. You know, I, I'm not going to give it anything okay. more than a three and a half, but I wasn't expecting to have such a good time with it. Uh, this also comes from Chris McKay, who's done a couple of other pretty decent movies that have done well in streaming, like The Tomorrow War. He did direct the Lego Batman movie, so he kind of has that really fast-paced humor with it, uh, especially because he has a good, qu- uh, good cast. Yeah. Alongside let me duo? ask you, yeah. Let uh-huh. me ask you a question though, because Chris McKay, interestingly, he also has a story by credit on the recent Dungeons and Dragons movie, and he was attached to direct it for a little while before our boys uh, came in and uh, took over the directing slot. Do you feel like he ended up with the better or or worse project uh, with Renfield? Damn, bro. I'm going to put it to you this way. They're both equal to me. I find them both mm-hmm. just as fun. However you feel about Dungeons and Dragons, I think that's how you'll feel about Dracula or, or Renfield. Cool. So I think that's a really good comparison. Um, Similar style of humor. Yeah. And in terms of the horror and uh, the action yeah. as well, obviously this leans well beyond the R point. They are well into the right. R-rated section of it. Like you got, like I was saying, Ben Schwartz is in this as Tedward, yeah. Teddy Lobo, a mob boss's son. All he does is cocaine the whole movie. Like, that that's all he is. He's a failure of a mob boss's son. Aquafina plays an officer in New Orleans who's like, ah, I need to do justice in a New Orleans police department. So you have everybody kind of just firing on all cylinders. There's some good improv mm-hmm. in there. I, I'm happy that he did Renfield. And he let the, the other boys do the uh, Dungeons & Dragons one because I think they both did a good job uh, separately. This, like a lot of the other movies is also kind of setting up for sequels, but not in the most annoying way possible. So a lot of the ones we're going to be covering do end in a way where it's leaving it open-ended, but it's also just a good in-and-out 
one installment. So uh, if you are a fan of Dracula in any case, I would highly recommend. I, I went on a binge. We were watching Dracula 1990, 1931. I, I was reading mm-hmm. up on Nosferatu. Do you know Nosferatu was illegally made? Oh, I didn't. Turns out uh, they never got the copyright. So they literally just uh, made an entire film overseas, released it. They got sued. And then when they made the official Dracula, they copied Nosferatu for scenes. <laughs> hey, don't <laughs> really ask for funny. permission, ask for forgiveness, right? Literally, yeah. So it's funny to think that now we've got a Nosferatu movie coming out later this year, obviously, with uh, Robert Eggers working on his. I'm really excited for that. They just announced another Dracula movie where they're like on a ship. Uh, and there's a couple Game of Thrones people on there. We've got this mm-hmm. one. Man, Dracula's never going to go away. It's like he's lived for a thousand years, and he's not going anywhere. But um, <laughs> I, I went back and watched, uh, did you ever see the Gary Oldman one? The one directed by Actually, Francis no. Ford Coppola. Um, no, but uh, I've been meaning to. I've been hearing so many things about this. I, I'll watch a bunch yeah. of movies, and they bring up Bram, Stoker, Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola all the time. I bought it because I wanted to make sure I had a crispiest, clearest version. I didn't want an HD streaming. It's a pretty beautiful film. Francis Ford Coppola, that's a filmmaker mm. right there. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting that Francis Ford Coppola is the uncle to Mr. Nick Cage. Cage. So he was kind of taking yeah. inspiration. There's a lot of stuff there. He said he was inspired by his dad. So again, I think it's worth the price of admission for Nick Cage alone. Uh, okay. Nicholas Holt, so he's really good. And yeah, uh, i definitely check it out when it comes out. Uh, as a rental. How about this one? Sure. Did you like it more or less than The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Another recent Nick Cage comedy where he leans very much into the Nick Cage isms. Mm. You know, I've told you that as much as I like Unbearable Weight, he doesn't like it, and I don't like a part yeah. about it, which is they're making fun of him. On this Same. press run, he reiterated that again when they asked him, Who would you want to start in one of your roles? And he went, Unbearable Weight to this day. I wish I wasn't in that role because he didn't like how it came out. So for that, by just a fan, Yikes. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Renfield. But I do like Unbearable <laughs> Way, regardless of, of what I have against that. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think if you like both of those movies or if you like uh, Unbearable Way, you're going to like Renfield. It, it, it delivers on the cool. on the Nick Cageisms that you want. So Renfield, it is out in theaters. I think it's worth the matinee if you're curious in it. Go give it a watch. Uh, new comedy horror that balances it well. The next yes. one, have you seen this director's previous works. I am talking about Suzume from Makoto Shinkai. I had seen the cover to this, right? And I was just like, wait, this looks just like, who is ripping off your name and weathering with... It's the same guy. Have you seen his previous stuff? Absolutely. I haven't. And uh, it's a frequent thing that we get admonished for on Intercut is not talking about anime enough. And specifically, I haven't seen a a lot of uh, Japanese animation, but like... I've heard nothing but great things about your name. Like even mm-hmm. even among your name, the I, movies, oh. even amongst the the ap- animated films that I've heard great things about, your name seems like it's near the top of that list. It's the one, bro. <laughs> you yeah. gotta catch the one. Um, yeah, I still think your name is his best. I'm I'm more of a defender of Weathering with You. I don't like the music; it's too overbearing in there. But I I I mess with what he was saying in that movie. Suzume is like, he takes the previous two, blends them together, gives you the best of the best for everything that he's got going on, repeats a lot of the motifs. This one's about a high school teenage girl who finds a guy and they go on this mystical adventure. High school teenage girl who finds a guy and goes on a mystical adventure. Can you guess what Suzume is about, Zach? 
uh, a high school guy who meets him and goes on a mystical adventure. But the guy is a chair this time around. So that's where the real Ooh. twist comes Ooh. in. Uh, pretty much, it, it a lot of his movies take place in Japan. He just animates Japan. I've always liked his animations because he's almost getting a still of what the country looks like or the city of Tokyo looks like in animated form. So it, when you go watch an older movie, you'll see like a scenic place. And then in his new movies, he'll shoot something else there again and it'll be completely different. So he's almost showing you how the land uh, evolves. And his animation has evolved to the point that I think this is the best animation he has done hands down. There are some shots in this that look absolutely breathtaking. And I saw it in a pretty decent theater, but I didn't see this on the IMAX release. This is being uh, boosted out there in a bunch of IMAX screens. We don't have the best ones near us, so I didn't make the trip out uh, to see this fully in the IMAX ratio. But from what I saw, dude, he's upped his game completely. Story-wise, I think it relies a lot on how much you know about Japanese culture, specifically a lot of the incidents Mm. that have happened over there. That's something that he's done in your name. That's something that he's done in Weathering With You. And here it relies on very recent events that have happened, tragedies over there. So I know a lot of people are like, ah, I don't care about the romance, which I do think there's a romance in there, and it's kind of weird. But (laughs) it's the end result of what the whole theme of the movie is and how a lot of Japanese audiences kind of look at that and almost see it as, and I hate to compare it, but like we've had 9-11 movies where they kind of go like, oh, mm-hmm. you didn't know. That's what this movie was about. This is when it takes place. Suzuma does something a little similar with that. So okay. uh, I'm sure the more you know about the culture, the more you know about the history there, uh, and especially if you were affected by it, the more it's going to hit you. For me, I have it just a little bit below weathering with you in terms of story. But it's probably equal because of the animation. So if you have not caught his movies before, I highly recommend that. Go go catch your name. I'm also a big fan of Five Centimeters. Yeah. Uh, go catch someone if you can. But your name's the one. It it was so big. I don't know if you know that it passed. Um, Spirited away. Uh, in in what sense? Biggest anime of all time. <laughs> what like like hot grossing? Like biggest anime of all time. Like in every <laughs> sense, bro. It got so bad. He he uh, f- uh floppy flappy birded it. He said don't watch my movie. Like he wanted to take it off of streaming services. He was so successful with that movie. Like it almost imploded on him. So, when you get the chance, I catch it. I think you'll really like it. Yeah, for sure. Um, between the two, it still goes to your name. I have heard some people want to give Suzuma some, you know, uh pluses because of what it's able to handle from your name that that he sees as problems, but I think that roughness in your name is what makes it so good. And I think him trying to to brush those things out, they're not making his movies better, um, at least not story-wise. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where he develops from here, uh, where he takes the movies, especially, like I said, a lot of his locations tend to be uh, in Tokyo. Here he goes outside of Tokyo, which I thought was really interesting. He goes to a, a lot of the countryside, uh, and it ends up even being kind of like a road trip movie. So... You know, I'm curious to see how people feel about this one now that it's out in theaters. If you get the chance to check it out in IMAX, let me know. Because uh, as far as I know, it's because of the IMAX mixing. And there's some beautiful mixing in this movie, but it's all about the visuals. So if you're there to, to feast your eyes on some beautiful animation, I mean, Suzuma's at the top of the list. For me, this should clear for the time being and what I've seen in the future. This should easily be a top five uh, animated contender in terms of award season. So Suzuma, out Have we in had theaters a lot of, of them this year so far? Is this... 
our front runner right now for best animated feature because it's definitely not Ma- the Mario movie. I mean, you'd be surprised. They're submitting Bowser, that Bowser Peaches song. So you don't know. I didn't talk about original song, just animated feature. <laughs> but if they can sneak one in there, you know, it's just a ripple effect all the yeah. way there. One mushroom yeah. and you start growing. I would I would hope that they keep an eye on this one because uh, the man's always putting out good work. So, uh, again, cool. I prefer your name than Weathering With You than Suzume. But let me know your thoughts, your rankings out there for Makoto Shinkai's newest movies. Uh, all right. And your theories on what it means to you. The next one. Renfield, Suzume. Bro, it was a field day at the theater. Every single thing. It was a blender of new things. You were not getting bored. The Pope's Exorcist. I'm not going to lie. I was... I saw the trailers to this. I'm like, all right. Your annual... And it's not even like annual because you get three Exorcist movies a year. Right. You you got the boy coming back, Russell Crowe, acting like it's his 2011 (laughs) self. But it comes from a director who intrigues me. Julius Avery has made movies like Overlord. Where, you know, I, I swore this was going to be some sort of uh, Cloverfield-type film, and it ends up being this amalgamation of World War II zombies. It wasn't a bad hmm. movie. I liked it. I don't think anyone saw Samaritan on Prime. This is the uh, superhero <laughs> Sylvester Stallone movie where he's got, what's his name? Yeah. Matchbox, or whatever his name is from, uh, what's his boy's name? You know his name. Ashtray. Ashtray, that's his name. Uh, right. No one saw that. Matchbox. <laughs> I forgot, bro. Pope's Exorcist is somewhere in the middle, man. There's elements that I respect of it, and then there's also, like, this goofy layer of it. This is a Christian horror film, through and through, bro. Sometimes you'll see these Exorcist movies, and it feels like an Avengers duke out, right, with, like, like mm-hmm. Satan, whatever demon it is. This one feels like the church commissioned it. And they try to rewrite a lot of stuff. The premise here is that you have Russell Crowe playing a real-life father, Gabriel Amorth, who was, like, the Pope's right-hand exorcist dude. On speed dial, he called this dude up, and anytime they need an exorcist to happen, they'd bring him in. Now the church is kind of restructuring, restructuring, and they're like, I don't know, there's these different things going on. We may not need exorcists anymore. So because he's almost out of a job, he's gonna, he has to prove himself. There's also an element in this movie where they're trying to update rules in the Catholic Church by saying exorcisms are trying to stop demonic possessions. But is it a demonic possession or are they just dealing with a mental health disorder? Hmm. You know, it's one of those where it's like, is evolution and the Bible, can they be uh, (laughs) together? Intertwined? Yeah, it likes to play with a lot of that. It likes to look back at histories of the church and be like, ah, that wasn't a good period, but maybe the devil was doing it. (laughs) It's goofy in that sense, but it's definitely a film where it's telling you if the devil is real, then what better way to prove that God is real? If you can prove one, then you prove the other. It was all right. Uh, You know, we've been talking about a lot of possession movies. We have Evil Dead coming out next week Uh, in the summer. We have one of our favorites, which is um, the A24. Talk to me. Talk to me. Nothing's yeah. gonna beat that in terms Evil of Evil Dead is the one that this trailer reminded me of the most, the kind of like punishing style of horror film. We didn't get a full story in that movie, which turns out a lot of people uh, they just want cardboard characters in Evil Dead movies, <laughs> but you didn't get a full story there. At least here, they're kind of fleshed out. The big okay. thing is that he's ha- he has to go from Italy to Spain because his family has moved into this house that their father uh, had owned for a long time. They've passed it down, so there's some secrets in the house. The kid proceeds to get uh, possessed after an incident he had witnessed, and he has to go there in order to stop the possession that has happened while also kind of not, also bringing up stuff 
in his past, the church's past, and the family's past. So again, a much better story than when it comes to Evil Dead, but the effects are nowhere near Evil Dead. So do with that as you will. If you're looking for a film that kind of has a little bit of a lore building up to it, then I'd recommend this movie a little bit. I thought that was the most interesting part. Uh, okay. You know, the horror elements, I thought the, the way they possessed the kid was pretty interesting, but again, nothing bigger than Evil Dead or Talk to Me. Um, but I was surprised by it. They also give you a little teaser of all of the exorcisms that he's actually done. And they're like, all right, all right. <laughs> he has done 199. And, bro, I kid you not. They hit you with... If it's God's will, we may tell you some of the other ones. So I've never seen a movie give you a little after credit if it's the Lord's will. So I love that one. That's I've not seen that pitch yet. Uh, so I, I kind of respect it. He's also really funny in it. I want to see if I can find a picture here. The main reason why he brought this up, I believe he's a Catholic himself, but there is, I'm going to see if I can pull it up here. The Pope's Exorcist drives a particular vehicle and he that Vespa you know he even has a very big thing on this he does not consider it a Vespa I consider uh, to me it's a moped bro he (laughs) considers it a or what it is a lambretta I want to see if I could pull one up here he says this is a way of transportation (laughs) that priests get around yo this man is on this little scooter for a majority of the movie, just getting from point A to point B. I don't know if he took that from Italy to Spain, but he said that was the big inspiration for him. He loved Gabriel the Father. He thought the exorcism stuff and the Catholicism points were really cool. But he said he wanted to see a priest on a lumbretta for this for, for cinema. You know, he needed to add it, it to the it's lexicon. It's very so. silly looking. You know, it adds an element to the movie. <laughs> like I, all of I, these, look, I love it. It's like, yeah, so he's got a lot of humor in there because he's that is another thing. He's a priest who believes that you kill Satan with jokes. The devil don't like comedy. So he's cracking (laughs) jokes all the time. He's a priest who takes a swig every once in a while. And yeah, he's on his little moped there or as he calls it a lumbretta. So if it interests you in any way, look, I think it's up there just like with Renfield. This amalgamation of it being a a faith based horror film, comedy, family film. Pope's Exorcist, it's out there. They got 199 more of these for you if you're interested. Uh, if you go support it in the theaters. For me, I wanted to say Junior, I'm going to keep it as a rent. It's a rent for now. I don't think you need to leave the house for it. But <laughs> Not even for the Lombretta? I got a picture of the Lombretta right here for you. <laughs> if, I, if there's a trailer of it, I think you just need to see a trailer of it. Uh, yeah. You can catch the Lombretta cut when it comes home <laughs> to rental or VOD. But yeah, I'm going to stick with that one being the first at home. Renfield... Get a matinee. Sazome, get okay. a matinee. Popes, stay at home with some holy water. The next yeah. one that I think both you and I would agree is a stay-at-home one. I liked it a little yeah. bit more than you did. Mafia Mama. Another mm-hmm. one. Rated R horror mob film where people are getting decapitated. There are severed hands and fingers. They made a wine, Zach, that they gave out to press. We're, I guess, under 21, so we didn't receive this box. They gave out... <laughs> Their own Mafia Mama wine with severed fingers in it. Not real ones that I know of. Um, so they kind of had like a, a, a grift going on here, which is funny. <laughs> what because is it supposed to be like the, the worm in mezcal? I don't want a finger in my bottle of wine. It's a part of the lore. In Mafia Mama, you got Tony Collette, who is a mm, suburban mama to begin with. She's in America. Yeah. Things ain't going well with her kid who's going to college. Things ain't going well with her husband who's cheating on her. So they kind of hit mm-hmm. her up and they go, yo, your grandpa, dad, I forget. 
Grandpa. You just got inherited. You just inherited a mafia boss uh, level. <laughs> she goes to Italy because she's on some. Uh, let's just pray. Eat, pray. Eat, pray. Fuck. At this point, really. Uh, <laughs> and she becomes the Don. She is the successor to this mafia. Yeah. Look, it either hits or it doesn't hit. Everyone was saying Renfield was camp. And after seeing the movie, mm-hmm. and I think the trailers kind of showed you, Renfield can't be camp because I think it knows what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it camp leans has too to... heavily into what it is. Yeah. So does this one, but to a degree where it, it doesn't care. And I think mm-hmm. it's so cartoony once you see the henchmen around her just doing, like, anytime they say the rival uh, boss's names, they uh, they spit in accordance to each other. Like, it's synchronized. There's a level yeah. of this movie where if you're on the right Mafia Mama wine, I think you will enjoy it in the comfort of your own home. How yeah, you- I, can, I can see that. I, I can see that. But, you know, there also is sort of this, like, kind of just overriding cheesiness to it like it's very wine mom humor and you know maybe that makes sense given the the character and the setting and everything like that but it you know it's not doing anything that's really going to surprise you 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 know you mentioned when we brought up mafia mama last week uh previewing it that it kind of has this vibe of like they they want her to be like a character that people meme on like she sort of can become this sort of representational figure and it i feel like they are the there is a little bit of like that desperation to be like oh well isn't she so quirky in how she's handling this and it's like you know wine mom to to girl boss or whatever it is and i, yeah. I don't know it just uh there a lot of the jokes miss is ultimately what it comes down to right because it's a comedy and you can forgive uh a, a derivative plot and cardboard characters if it makes you laugh and it just didn't make me laugh much like if you're the type of person who would laugh at them chanting eat pray fuck like you know it's it's cute but it's just like I don't know it did, didn't work that well for me like I agree with you though like maybe it, there are just just enough that like under the right circumstance you might have a good time with this movie there's certainly like a certain type of crowd who might enjoy this movie better but mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's one that you can skip Tony Collette it's all riding on her she's the one who knew what the movie's tone was and sometimes the people around her don't have that and that's where it's like dang I wish you had better sparring partners with that but she commits yes. to the bit 100% Monica Belushi, just just great as always, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they had this one bit where they just straight up took it from I Love Lucy with the, the grapes. <laughs> yeah. And they uh, the director said that she wanted them to also put the whole get up. And they were like, yeah, we, we are, we're not doing that. Uh, but they filmed in Italy at a winery. So it's the Adam Sandler effect. They were out there having a good time. And it's Catherine Hardwick mm-hmm. you had mentioned last time. Uh, what... Just the most fascinating filmography to go from 13 to right? Dogtown, Twilight, Miss Bala, this. She's like, she just does whatever she wants. I almost, almost kind of just respect it for that. But Mafia Mama, uh, yeah, it is definitely the, as I put it, the wine mom film to watch. You remember that one with, uh, I think it's Guilt Trip, where Seth Rogen goes oh, on a road it, trip with his mom? Yeah, yeah. Double feature it. That, that to me, See, I was gonna s- is the epitome of this drama. I was going to say double feature it with, what is it, Wine Tour? The one that was with uh, Amy Poehler and a bunch of people on Netflix? Wine, wine Country tour. or something like that? Wine Country. Wine Country. I don't even remember this one. 
Damn, yeah, this looks yeah, this looks like a twofer. <laughs> this, it's a way for it to come out on Netflix. Watch it in the comfort of your own home and boom. There Damn, she directed this one. Okay. Well, there mm-hmm. you go. You got a bunch of wine to stack up on once all of these movies come out. VOD near you. Really quick, I have a, another double up over here. Sick of Myself. It was a movie I'd recommended last week and her picks for the week. Yeah. It is out now in limited release in theaters. It is a really messed up I movie saw, about narcissists. No I saw put, Rachel Sennett. Uh, put a picture of this on her Insta stories and say that she loved it. So you're not the only one giving this hey, a strong recommendation. She's exactly the type of audience who I know would gravitate towards this. <laughs> I'm curious your thoughts, though, because it pushes the level. Like, we were talking about Worst Person in the World being a film where you go in there and you still sympathize regardless of everything that happens in that film. She's not really, like, the mm-hmm. worst person in the world. Right. I worry people will watch this and be like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> I, I am, I'm done with these two. I don't want to hang out with them. But that's cool. also what I respect. It goes all the way. Uh, they've been calling it an almost comedy. The director didn't like that. And then I saw him gradually start using it because he kind of liked how it felt. It felt really intriguing to get people to watch it. So this almost comedy, Sick of Myself, is in limited release. Cool. I recommend it. Some of you may want to catch this at home in case you uh, just want to tune out. If it takes it overboard. Moving on, though, we have... Uh, I want to talk about two documentaries before we get into a bunch of the premieres you were able to catch in terms Let's of TV, but uh, you got Personality Crisis, which I haven't been able to yet. I caught another doc, but tell me about this one that we missed at New York and is out on Showtime. Yeah, so I caught it back on uh, when we were at New York. Uh, mm, and okay. it's uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, telling the story of uh, this musician, David jo- Johansson, uh, who has lived... A pretty interesting life uh, from uh, the different projects that he's been a part of. I, I particularly, like, I'm not a person who came in with a lot of knowledge of uh, what he's worked on. So I, you know, it was just kind of cool to cool to learn about it. But I also appreciated that it wasn't necessarily like a standard kind of Wikipedia entry biopic. It's uh, pre- predominantly done through... Uh, interviews and archival footage. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and sorry, the interviews being with uh, David Johansson himself, and not really even in a traditional style of interview. He's the type of singer who, when he gets on stage, he often like does these uh, long introductions to his songs. And then those introductions serve as mm-hmm. the jumping off points into different parts of the documentary. So it was cool. like a cool way to profile him. I loved how it was shot in a very intimate way with this like small room uh, setting uh, for his musical performance and a lot of emphasis on those performances as well. Um, he's just such like an electric personality. So yeah, even though I didn't necessarily know much about, uh, his work or his work as Buster Poindexter or anything like that, I I was pretty compelled by it when I saw it back in New York. Interesting. All right. It's out on Showtime. I'm definitely going to be catching up on this one. Uh, do you have a favorite Martin Scorsese doc? Because like I think that's underrated. He he works on a lot of yeah. in between documentaries in different capacities, producing and and such. But uh, his I'll Dylan th- doc is really great. His Dylan doc on Netflix, yeah, that one's pretty yeah. cool. I've used a couple of clips from that. I'm I'm gonna go so old school. You know the uh, what is it Italian American? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With his parents, right? Let's see if I can find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right here, Italian American. Yeah, uh, I think this one's still on YouTube. It's on HBO Max, as I can see right here. Watch this one. I think this one's funny. <laughs> this one's always been one of my favorites because it's just so raw, the way he records his parents. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Martin Scorsese, he's definitely got a future. What do you think of his four-hour cut, bro? 
Yeah, uh, so w- news broke this week that it's going to be three hours, 54 minutes, I believe, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I can't wait for a bunch of people with, like, less than a 1,000 followers on Twitter to be like, oh, they should have edited this down. Who would they get to edit this one? Not knowing Thelma Schoonmacher is still working with him on these. Oh, damn. Look, uh, we, we've hey, defaulted to this. people say that. Yeah, we've defaulted to this in the past, but there's the Ebert quote that no bad movies too short, no good movies too long. You know, uh, I, I I think Scorsese at this point has earned the right to make his four hour movie. I'm a little concerned for my bladder, mm-hmm. but aside from that, like it's going to be a good time. You could also not go. Right, I think that's that's usually right. the other one. Sometimes, it's sometimes very I easy. see we, we present some movies here, and y'all are like, "I'm not watching that." I think it's as simple as cool. that. But I think it's realizing you cannot not not miss what people are going to be talking about. It's him reuniting with Leo since what Wolf. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of like people know. Damn, I have no other choice but to wait there and sit there. So, hey, I'm excited for it to be four hours. I I mind the three hour twenty five minute Irishman. <laughs> so yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And eventually it goes to Apple if I'm not mistaken, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it'll be available on streaming probably like not terribly far into the future. I think they announced the October release date in in theaters. So you know before the end of the year, you can sit down, watch mm-hmm. two hours now and two hours later, something like mm-hmm. that. Remember they did the whole like streaming chart for how to watch Irishman from point A to point B. Yeah. Once this guy exits the car, you can take a break. <laughs> Made it four yep. episodes. Uh, you know, it's funny that Quentin Tarantino ended up doing that though, with his uh, was his western uh, Hateful Eight is a series. Yeah. So if you felt Hateful Eight was three hours too long, he did end up cutting it up to forty five minute episodes. So mm-hmm. I don't know. You can't really blame people for the way they watch things if the directors are going to end up doing that. But hey, I am going to be seated there for all four hours. I'm going to bring a catheter. I am ready to go. The next Absolutely. one that we have over here, uh, just the other doc, was one. I'm not sure if you caught this one yet, but I would love not your yet. opinion on this one because this man, Jafar Panahi, has made a couple of movies. And sometimes he's made that same movie like three times. I remember going everywhere to find a film he had made a while ago called This Is Not A Film. Because obviously, you know, you're in high school and you're like, yo, what? A filmmaker who got in trouble for making movies overseas. Mm -hmm. So now he's got to like not make a movie because he's under house arrest. and They (laughs) want to take away his cameras and stuff. We've heard of other directors as well, uh, as well from the Middle East who have like, had, they weren't allowed to make a feature film, so they made short films and then combined it to make an anthology feature. Like, there's just crazy yep. stuff. Wadja, another one where the director had to film from a van because mm-hmm. they couldn't catch a filming. Just some crazy stuff. He's got a new one that I thought was a documentary, and while he is documenting what happened to him, it's a narrative about something that happened, so it is a pseudo-documentary. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of his thing, right, is he sort of skirts the line between fiction and reality to the point where you can't really tell what's what's what and how much of it has been planned or or how much of it is the actual people. And it's always compelling. But, uh, yeah, how how does he make it unique here in No Bears? Well, like I said, he's going all out as just playing the director who is directing people in this little town where he's staying refuge. Some people are kind of iffy on him. But while he's living there, he's on a MacBook directing people who are in the city. Illegally. Yet, Mm. he may have done something in the town that upsets them, which means he may have to leave the town. 
And it's just this like run and gun. Things are happening all the time while he's trying to film this movie. Is he a little annoying? Yeah, I kind of respected that he's willing to actually not just cast himself, but fully introspectively be like, am I using the people who I'm also putting at risk to film these movies? Am I being too selfish and putting the people in this village at risk for filming a thing here all while he's filming the thing there? So it's this really weird amalgamation of, of what has been a documentary, what has been the stories and problems that he's put himself in, and then making a feature out of it. Um, I was very intrigued by it. Uh, this would be scenes from the people who he's filming. A lot of the times you don't realize that he's talking to them because this is his computer screen. So until it zooms out, you don't realize that he's not there. So uh, again, mm. fascinating filmmaking. Um, I would recommend it. I'm not sure if it's playing in limited theaters for people, but definitely when it comes out uh, as a rental on Did you say it was in virtual? Is it virtual? It could be virtual already because a lot of these docs, I'm not sure who's releasing it. But yeah, you can rent right now for six ninety nine. If it intrigues you go. and you've seen his filmography, six ninety nine is a decent price for this. Because uh, no one's making movies well, like this. If you haven't seen a Jafar Panahi film, is there a place that you would start? I have, I have to look up the list again because I'm I'm so bad at titles. But Three Faces is probably the biggest one. Um, and then this, I, I really would like definitely taxi. say watch this. Taxi is really good. I would say watch This Is Not A Film and then this one to kind of understand that and probably a lot of his interviews because what he gets into is a lot of his relationship with his cast. And I found yeah. that stuff really fascinating. Um, but yeah, uh, really good stuff. I was able to catch this at Chicago and it's now available. So if you're curious, let me know your thoughts on this movie or any of the other ones in his filmography. But those are the two docs. Zach, I did not get to see these two series, but you saw... The pilot to Florida, man, because Netflix can't leave a damn thing alone. No, they can't. And, uh, yeah, I, I only ended up catching the first episode of both of these shows. Uh, but Florida, man, seems like it's been doing pretty well on the service for them, which is not necessarily a surprise, considering that this is also the place where uh, Tiger King once blossomed. Uh, and they Netflix seems to increasingly try to try to market to these like sensationalistic kind of like meme ideas that are very broad and potentially broad appealing but i don't know man it i'm i'm a little bit just tired of these properties that feel like they came up with the title first and then worked backwards like this is playing off of the idea of like the Florida man headlines, something yeah. that Atlanta did much more succinctly and Wait, much more you. hilariously years thank ago. You. And they didn't market yeah. it as a bit. I hate that part of it. Exactly. And it's, and all things considered like as silly and absurd as some things are, including a guy getting his dick bit by a shark in the pilot episode. Like it's just not the kind of crazy madcap romp that would necessarily justify living up to the, the Florida man meme, you know, like it's, it's silly. It's a little, it's pretty stupid, but it's not (laughs) crazy, you know? And it just kind of feels very, uh, I don't know, doesn't feel that, like, uh, textured or, or, like, they've thought that deeply about this. It's just a little, like, bland. And I, I don't know. Uh, 
I feel like if you can't grab me in an episode where st- you're already doing stuff like that, like th- then it's not really there, right? Yeah. I had no inkling for it, but then I saw the cast, bro, and I was like, you know, it's got a surprisingly Ramirez, decent cast. Yeah, it, they're not bad people. I'm a huge fan of Emery Cohen, especially. I think he's a great mm-hmm. character actor ever since he was in Brooklyn. stuff like Brooklyn and uh, yeah. the other one, the Place Beyond the Pines. Place Beyond the Pines, right? Yeah. No, he's just he's really good at what he does. Uh, he's the only reason I really kind of want to watch this, but at the same yeah. time, this feels like background watch to me. Um, yeah, uh, I agree with you. It, Netflix needs to focus more on getting their live streams working. I don't know if you caught that yesterday. They did a second Oof. live. Bro. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the bad. Love is Blind finale did not go the Yikes. way they hoped it would, huh? Sheesh. Like, how? How are you going to raise your prices and then not invest in a live... Bro, like, you, like, we're live streaming right now. Come on. Get this stuff ready. Can right? you do a basic cable? Yeah, they should get a StreamYard subscription. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it just crazy because, like, for years, it's been like Netflix isn't an entertainment company. They're a tech company, right? Like they try to market themselves at that. It's, oh, the reason they're ahead is their UI is so good. Their algorithm's so good. And the second that they have to do a very tech heavy thing. <laughs> it's embarrassing, man. Like, is this the, the biggest L Netflix has taken in some time? Like, I'm Honest. trying to think, like. Like, since the cuties debacle, but for different reasons? Yeah. Look, I guess if you're a, uh, every promo is good promo, then you had a lot of people talking about it and wanting it, which I guess is a bit, right? I would kind of put that like mm-hmm. Frank Ocean set that came out. I wasn't Removing... sure when the Love is Blind finale was airing, and now I know. Do you catch Love is Blind? You No, I don't watch it. I know no. you're a Circle fan. Uh, Love, Love is Blind? I watched Blind? one season of The Circle. <laughs> I know you're a huge... <laughs> Uh, Love is Blind is probably the one I've gravitated towards in terms of the just mucky reality shows. Yeah, because the first season came out during the pandemic. I I ate that up. It was like just the cringiest stuff possible. I didn't watch two. I caught three. Haven't really watched four, but I might only because people are saying that they take it to the next level. It's just it gets to a point where it's really sad to see how Netflix execs are purposely picking certain people. I don't know. It feels like puppy mastering people's emotions. Which is reality TV. I know, I know. All the reality shows that are sort of contingent on people falling in love feel too manipulative for me. Like, and yeah, I agree with you. That's just sort of like part for the course in reality TV. It's just like, I I just feel the producers making changes and I I can never really enjoy the experience that way. Exactly. I feel you 100%. But hey, uh, it'll be up. Maybe edited just like uh, Chris Rock's stream was as well. Uh, after all of that, though, Apple had a new one because we are in the new era where it's not about movies anymore. The movie stars are going to TV, and there is a miniseries called The Last Thing He Told Me with Jennifer Garner. Mm-hmm. You saw the pilot, right? Because I think there's yes, two Yes, just the pilot is one. Out. Yeah. How is it so far? Uh, at least the pilot didn't really grab me. You know, Jennifer Garner uh, plays this woman whose husband kind of mysteriously disappears, and then she has to uh, kind of track down different leads of information uh, from just sort of like scraps of hints and going through his colleagues and stuff like that. And and like, it's just sort of like at least through the first hour kind of feels like it's, it's got one tone and it's riding it. Jennifer Garner just sort of being in this somewhat bewildered state. And I, I enjoy Jennifer Garner as an actress, but I find that this is sort of the least interesting mode 
for her to play is kind of like uh, vacant and wondery and, and, and not knowing. Like, I like her with a little more attitude. I like her with a little bit more uh, edge. I th- find like when she's asked to play kind of a bitch, she's particularly good. I, I think she's great in Butter. I don't know if that's a movie that you caught. She's very funny in that movie. I like Butter, bro. Butter's um, dope. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. It's just like her performance didn't grab me. The story didn't grab me. It feels a little bit like standard uh, mystery miniseries. And, and I don't know, man. There's so much TV right now, especially as we're getting towards the end of Emmy's ed- eligibility. If you can't grab me after that one episode, I don't know if I can hang. You have to give each series nine episodes before you give up on it, Zach. Right. That's how it works. So That's when it gets good, when you catch yeah. the finale. When you catch, yeah, nine out of the seven ones. All right, well, the last thing he told me, uh, this was the one where I went to go check my Apple subscription, and we got flip-flopped. You got all of them? We yeah. reached out. They're like, no, you have to request one by one. And I'm like, I know that's not, not true. For... <laughs> but yeah. whatever. They, they got us on the clock there. So, all right, Apple. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I'll be tuning into this once I can catch the entire thing, I guess, uh, for the last thing he told me. Yeah. The last thing we're going to talk about, though, is a little Barry. We've been doing our succession episodes. Let's... Do I'm it. surprised you didn't want to do some Barry spoiler ones. Or maybe we'll have to do an entire wrap-up by the end of it because it's there's too much happening. Zach, right off the bat. Yeah. I thought they did him dirty at the finale of the last season without getting any, into any spoilers. But HBO's twofering him? They're making him release two a week, Zach? I think or it's is it just, just the first this week. Two? I think it's just the first two. Did seasons one? Two or three do that? I don't know. That's I don't like that. That's disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's it's a kind of like quieter you start you to show up the, to the max offices. I mean, I'm I'm down to protest in favor of Bill Hader whenever you Let's are. Go. I'm not. Sh- I don't know if you want to make it out here and we can uh, go to Warner in New York or if we got to go out to L.A., but wherever we got to go, look, the WME office. I mean, I think the, the main thing to focus on here is that like Bill Hader is really, really just elevated into an incredible filmmaker. Uh, he mm-hmm. is writing, starring, directing, producing. He's the the man really behind it all here and <laughs> Barry. And um, that I, I thought that. Th- third season ended in a really, really incredible fashion. Uh, maybe you have some qualms with it, but like it went from this very kind of uh, chaotic uh, and emotionally climactic moment to what's a lot quieter and more restrained here at the beginning of season four, which is to be expected. We have to reset the pieces. Barry's now in prison, stuff like that. Um, but I. There's just so much texture to the way that Bill Hader directs these scenes and giving you these little moments of like flashbacks to him and Fuchs when he was young or like little little moments where Bill Hader is doing some acting that I didn't even realize he was capable of. Like the the way that he threatens that one guard is the scariest he's ever been on screen. And then later he has a scene opposite Sarah Goldberg and looks more pathetic than we've ever seen him. Um, I'm, I really just think he he's doing some incredible work and setting up a very, very dark finale because it does not feel like this is headed in a fun direction. Um, I'm glad Noho Hank is still around to give us some laughs. 
Yeah. What do you think of the uh, the circle shot on episode two? Look, I think Noho Hank has just like the fact that him and his partner have become this whole like. Cristobal. <laughs> They've just been trying to have like a relationship amidst of all the violence and decapitation mm-hmm. and and the news that's been going everywhere. To me, dude, since last season, Sarah Goldberg has been an absolute freaking standout. Revelation. There is yeah. an element to episode one, maybe it's in two, where she goes back home. Yes, that's episode one. And yet returns to the person. <laughs> With all these allegations, instead of being back home, uh, yeah, the fact that you're mentioning how you get some behind the scenes for Stephen Root and those flashbacks, ju- you don't even need flashbacks. You just see current scenes now for her and you realize that's why you're where you're at. Yeah. Nah, dude, they've been giving her some really good stuff. They snubbed her last year. They better not snub her again this year. Um, I know. And just a whole new cast they've got going on because it almost feels like new characters. I do agree. Noho Hank is in a completely, like, he's still Noho, but he's. He's in a yeah. He's he's in a relationship now. That's mm-hmm. his storyline. Uh, Henry Santa Winkler, Fe. yeah. Henry Winkler's completely like on the defense now, uh, especially uh, opposite Robert. Yeah, I think they've got a good dynamic going on there. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to end as happy as people have been thinking that this is. Uh, the comedy has been lost a long time ago to the degree that we normally know comedies as. Yeah. So it's yeah. funny because like. It, it used to be a lot more comedy forward, and now it's yeah, it like goofy, it's yeah. so it, it's so like dark and, and uh, depressed and and just conflicted. And then they have these comedic scenes that come in and surprise you. Like you know you'll you'll be in this very contemplative mood, and then Kusino does his one man show talking about yeah. how he and Barry met. Like I I love that they are able to still kind of get into these kind of absurd comedic bubbles uh steven root's whole speech about nicknames and stuff like that but yeah like certainly the the focus of the show has gotten a lot more serious i'm excited for it it's going to be a very interesting rest of april and may because you got hbo jam-packed with everything you could say they've got it to the mag zach (laughs) it's called max now it's so dumb, man. You know what? Before we head out, since that was the final thing, and we give a shout-out to the patrons, we got to give a shout-out, and by shout-out, I mean yell at this HBO Max news. Let me pull up the stuff that I had right here. I was reading through all of the stuff that they have ready in terms of how they're going to roll this out, and the only good thing that I could give it is the fact that it's so funny to see the logo be Max, the one to watch. For HBO, then what did you change? <laughs> if they if they it, kick all the grandfathered people out, I'm gonna be real ticked off, bro. Because these new prices, these new prices sucked. It's not I'm it. gonna try to pull yeah. those up as well, but I don't know if you have other just immediate thoughts on this brand name change. If you think it's a good thing, because you know I have certain thoughts, but they may be onto something. I see what they're trying to do. I get it, but I just don't like they. The, the corporate reasoning seems to be that, like, it's it's so that people who don't necessarily associate with the HBO brand will also feel welcomed on the service or, like, they look to stuff for the service. I just don't yeah. know who these people are who are like, oh, I don't want to watch anything HBO related. That's not good stuff to me. Like, it just doesn't really make sense. And then on top of that, to go with the word Max, which is already, like, this... Uh, 
the sup uh, the supplemental word, right? Like, isn't isn't Showtime Max or something like that, or what? Or the, there was Cinemax too, right? So it just sort yes. of feels like half a title. And, like, the bland half of the Agreed. title, like, the HBO I part agree. is the actual part that makes it specific. Bro, so I have the prices pulled up here, and I think, along with what you're saying, they feel that us, who like HBO and are upset, like, why are you dropping the name? It, mm-hmm. It's irrelevant because we'll still be there. I'm going to pull this up right here and then go back to the prices. I read this a while back when they made this switch to HBO Max, which the whole idea was like, hey, not just HBO, but let's give all the poop content, right? Let's be the YouTube, Tubi, Netflix, reality shows and everything. In doing that, they feel that HBO is the reason people haven't signed up. And you can look at the stats right here because I remember seeing this and it hasn't changed. Back when they were on AT&T, they talked about the fact that most people who were still on cable weren't switching to HBO Max. Does that make sense? Yeah. They have HBO Max, HBO Go, HBO Now, and then HBO through your cable subscription. So they've never been able to add everything up into one. This feels like they're like, can we just can we just scooch and get everybody yeah. into one little thing here? Look, I, I've talked to the older generation. They seem to like it. They think it looks cleaner. So if the older generation is who they're going for because the younger generation is already going to be right. there then I guess more power to you, but these prices suck, dude. I don't know what yeah. you're paying right now, right? I'm paying nine ninety nine because I was grandfathered in because the first thing I did when I got my job at McDonald's was I got HBO. <laughs> I had HBO Go. They booted me to HBO now. I think I'm still included with my cable package. I better still be because I remember one yeah. Lollapalooza, man. I'm trying to watch a concert and someone hacks into my account I did my research. HBO was so scummy. I hope they're not watching right now because then Max, they're going to boot me out. They did this bit. I went through enough Reddit stuff where they were trying to boot you off of the Apple subscriptions and move you to be straight credit card. Because if you're subscribed through Apple for HBO, Apple takes a cut. So they pretended like everyone was, this is reportedly, allegedly, supposedly, they (laughs) pretended like everyone got hacked. So you reset your payment. So they can get 100% and have no middleman. That's why they were off of the Apple store and a bunch of LG TVs. There was a fight with Roku because Roku wanted to take a percentage. There's all this behind the scenes that leads to these new prices. Max Ad Light. What does that is even mean? I, you tell me, bro. Max Ad Free. And then Max Ultimate Ad Free is a whopping $19.99. Yikes. Do they even release enough to justify these prices? So what, $200 a year, you're paying uh, $40 to watch House of the Dragon, 30 bucks to watch <laughs> Succession, 20 bucks to watch Barry, another hey, 10 hey, to watch hey, the new hey. season of Curb. And Guy Fieri. Yeah, I the, like how they you got to throw five bucks to Guy Fieri. Yeah, you get all the HBO stuff. If you remember, they pulled some stuff from HBO, so I guess this is them giving it back. They then are also kind of sprinkling some Discovery stuff in there, but not all the mm-hmm. Discovery stuff because they still want you to go be on Discovery. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I To me, HBO made this show called Succession, and they do this really good job at writing the kids as not knowing what they're doing, and it makes them look foolish. HBO, you kind of look like the characters you're writing. You're not concise, and you keep making rash decisions, and it shows inconsistency. So in my opinion, it just looks bad, but... I don't know. They'll probably change the name a dozen more times before this, but for right now, introducing Max. 
They still got the good stuff. <laughs> Barry and Succession. We'll be yeah. talking about that. But before we yeah, get it's to a our shame, picks, right? Because the, it, it, it they've got the best content. So why can't they have a good basket to hold it all in? Yeah. I don't know, man. But before we get into our picks for the week and move on to our let's next Succession spoiler podcast, let's give a shout out to all of the Intercuity patrons. Yes, we got to thank those wonderful people supporting the show. They are Ewan, Ronette, Julieta, Tim, Elizabeth, Josh, Ashley, Brady, Marion, Michael, Mr. Kobayashi, Nick the Monty, LaShawn, Devesh, Nick, and Diana. Our Academy level members are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Pete, Ricky, Joe, Janicia, and Tyler. And a, of course, a big thanks to the producer level patrons, Udenvir, Sam, and Wiley. Oh, and let me get one more uh, thanks in there to the new uh, Academy level member, Benji. I forgot to add to my rundown as well. So thanks to all y'all for support. And a reminder that you too can become a member at patreon.com slash intercutpod, where you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to intercut episode outlines, early access to some intercut episodes, access to the private channels on our intercut discord, which you could find a link to in the description down below. And you get an invitation to our monthly patron Google meetings, the next one of which is happening later today, right after we do our succession stream. We're going to hop on and talk with good? the patrons about wh- what? You're back ready to carry carry this I mean, like, I might be doing it from a lying down position, but like I'm, I'm here. I'm down to hang. <laughs> we got to talk about some A24 movies, right? We got an A24 bracket to prep. We have a, yeah. and, uh, we have a, a no, we have an A24 bracket for the bracket. Exactly. We literally the, the have like a pre-bracket bracket. The pre-brackets. It's it's going to be tough to whittle it down, so we'll need all of your help. For as little as $1 a month on patreon.com slash intercutpod, you can hop on for the conversation and help us figure out uh, what that A24 bracket episode might look like. So, yeah, uh, we'll see y'all in a little bit. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, up this week is a couple of movies that we want to give the shout-out to before we get into our quick picks, but... Evil Dead. We have reviews out for Evil Dead in case you were interested. It is the newest one, the fifth in the franchise from Sam Raimi. He is producing alongside the one and only Bruce Campbell. We got to catch this over at South by Southwest. Very interesting experience. Very curious to see how this is going to roll out, how people feel with it. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more backstory, but for the most part, you get the gore. That's what people want. That's that's the rise that they're they're trying to get uh, out of people. So if you're curious for this one, it'll be out in theaters on Prime. It's going to be Judy Bloom forever, but Judy Bloom now almost got canceled on Twitter. There's a whole <laughs> thing that happened there. I guess I was like, damn, they're really going at her. Oh yeah, Judy Bloom forever comes out next week. So uh, right. mind all of that stuff. She's got an okay doc that's coming out. It it really feels kind of like. The Twitter stuff happening right now, it is more so just a profile reminding you, hey, Judy Bloom's still around. It's its a Sparks Notes of yeah. the book she's had, but it could have been a little bit better, but that's out there. Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once in a while. I just got to give it a shout out, bro. They're bringing it back. Not everyone's coming back. I like how, uh, what's her name? The original OG Pink Ranger was like, I'm not getting in tights. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that, bro. I'm a full-grown adult, but... Look, I don't know if this is a full continuation, but it is a reunion. 30 years in the making. That's how they're pitching Yeah, they're so bringing I, back the Rangers, right? Like, it's not a not new cast. Them, not all of them, though. Right. But yeah. they are. They're bringing some of them back. So I, I'm mildly curious. Uh, and then you did get to see Beef. So 
Yeah, no, I just we talked about it last week. You recommended it. I, I recommended it off of the first three episodes, and uh, I ended up finishing it throughout, uh, throughout the week. Uh, I ended up enjoying it. I, I gotta say, I thought episode nine went went way too far. That was the like it was really? a slow escalation, and all of a sudden, it's like a, a Quentin Tarantino movie or something like that. Like I, I that was the one episode where I was a little bit like, all right, let's let's pump the brakes. Maybe maybe both literally and metaphorically. Uh, but then I, I felt like they kind of stuck the landing in, in episode 10, even though that was also a little bit of like a a weird turn uh, for the show. It's, I don't know. Uh, it literally goes to the climax and then it gives you the most softest episode, right? Yeah. Between nine and 10. I like that. I mess with that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it worked for some people, but that was that was like a little bit too crazy for me, at least. But I'd still give it the recommendation. I thought Wong and, and Yun are both really incredible, particularly Ali Wong is, is just like hard to take your eyes off of in this show. Damn. I'm rooting for Steven, bro. I, I, I need I need to see some nominations going Steven's way for TV easily. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the stuff that's coming out next week. Let's get into our 10 picks for the week. Your five, Zach. Yeah, so let's start it off with a show that's coming to Amazon Prime Video called Dead Ringers. Uh, I All I knew about this one going in is it's a show with two Rachel Vices, which is enough to get me to good. check out a show. Um, and she stars as a pair of twins who are also fertility doctors. They uh, are on a mission to change the way that women give birth. Uh, but mostly, this is a show about... Rachel Weisz playing two twins who work in maternity and are extremely horny, like, like clinically horny. It's, it's a problem how horny they are. Uh, they, they, (laughs) yeah. And look, it got it for her. It totally, totally works. Uh, it's got, it, it ends up being this weird thing where it sort of is a confluence of like birth and life and sex and desire. And, you know, like there's sort of like a thing going on there and I'm curious to see where it dives into. There's also some kind of psychological underpinnings and and like ideas of schizophrenia being alluded to that I'm not quite as sure about. I only caught the first episode. They sent us some screeners. It'll be out, I think on Friday. So I'm going to dive deeper into it. Look, we talked about a couple of shows that I caught the first episode of that I decided to not go further on. This is one that I will continue to check out. So there was enough there that intrigued me aside from just like wanting to continue staring at Rachel Weisz. Nice. I, I, I thought the poster looked fascinating every time I see it pop up. Uh, so yeah, six yeah. episodes. I'll be looking forward to it. All six yeah. drop this Friday. So pretty quick hang. Nice. Did you finish this next one though? I didn't finish Mrs. Davis. Uh, I I've caught the first. I think two or three of them now. Uh, they I sent us a bunch. Tell me. I, I think we're technically embargoed, so I don't want to oh. go like super deep on this. <laughs> They're gonna send the nuns on you. <laughs> Exactly right. I don't. Want, I don't want them coming after me. They were already marching the streets of South by Southwest. That's, yeah, that so. was scary. Hey, look, a couple episodes played at South by, so I feel like nobody's gonna get that mad if I tell you like this is a pretty like insane show. Uh, it comes from uh, not only what's her name. Uh, I, f- I forget the co-writer, but the one that uh, stood out to me was Damon Lindelof is one of the people behind yeah. this. Yeah, he's um, running it. So he. So he's got this sort of like 
he's somebody who has like a big vision for like being able to build a whole world. And there is like a very big world that you're entering into here on Mrs. Davis, uh, a show about Betty Gilpin playing a nun who goes to war with like an algorithm that they call Mrs. Davis. It, it's, it's a very bizarre show, a very kind of like slapsticky sci-fi action comedy, but Betty Gilpin is just like a very dynamic and fun person to watch. I think she gives like a really exciting like performance. Her. And I mean, I, I, you know, it's so, there's so much to chew. I don't know if they necessarily like set it up in the most penetrable, easy to dive into way, but I'm intrigued by it. So I'm going to stick with this one as well. Interesting. Uh, any of those writers? Because I, too, saw Damon Lindelof, and I'm like, all right, he's got to be cooking something. I think Tara Hernandez is the person who co-created uh, it with uh, him. Oh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah. <laughs> A couple episodes Not... of Big Bang Theory. Right? I can see that right there. All right. This one's on Peacock, right? Yes, this one is Peacock. It's going to be available good. on 420. Your number three? Oh, sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about wildlife then. Uh, you know, an interesting documentary. This one was on our radar because A, it premiered at South by Southwest, and B, it is co-directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vasarheli, who, of course, are the co-directors who won an Oscar for their work on Free Solo. Uh, they also movie. made a, a documentary called The Rescue that I thought was very good. They're, they're good documentarians, I'm always going to be curious about what they put out. And wildlife sticks to a lot of the ideas that they tend to explore in terms of uh, people people against nature or, or working with nature or trying to celebrate nature. They're, they really have like a uh, an earth first kind of uh, move uh, kind of motivation with their mm-hmm. documentary documentaries. Uh, this one sort of takes a look at the lives of Chris and Dub Tompkins, who are a pair of conservationists who uh, did a lot of work, particularly like in Chile and uh, declaring uh, or in buying up land and turning it into national parks, working to sort of conserve the earth's natural resources and these forests that are uh, being uh being torn down. They also are the people who helped start Patagonia. And uh, if you've heard anything about Patagonia, it's a company that obviously uh, has a big uh, ecological focus. So there is an aspect of this documentary that is feels kind of like an extended promo for Patagonia and their work as conver- conservationists. Uh, we were talking before we started airing that it's a little bit weird how much talking head work Jimmy Chin does considering he is a co-director of this documentary. It feels almost like he could have just narrated it if he wants to Mm -hmm. uh, like impact the, the words being spoken that much. That being said though, like they did live interesting lives. It is a very uh, compelling story that they're trying to tell. And I'm, I believe in like the fight for conservation. So I think if you're a person who likes films that talk about nature, talk about the earth, talk about our desire to protect our natural resources, like there's enough there that you'll be interested in. I don't know if it's necessarily the best that we've seen from this documentary duo, though. I'd watched The Rescue and obviously Free Solo. Fantastic movie. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my fourth pick for the week, I have Barry, which we already talked about. But, I mean, look, if it's if it's not the best show on TV right now, it's probably the second, uh, tied somewhere with Succession or something like that. I'm just mm-hmm. extremely excited to dive more into what Bill Hader has to offer this season. I, I don't know if I mentioned to you that HBO finally sent me the screeners for it, and I've been, like, trying to hold out. I don't want to go straight to episode you seven. You eat but, it all uh, up? Not, not yet, but... We'll see how long I last, especially Damn, with, with my back feeling the way it does. I need something to make me feel good. Yeah. Damn. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised. I, I thought you would have consumed that to yeah. the max. You exactly, did make it right? out to one movie, though. And I, I, I want to know as little as possible. Because I yes. feel like you're mixed on it. But you got it as a pick. Because how could you not? I do. Tell me I, as exactly. cryptically. How could I not? There's a new Ari Aster film in theaters, so we have to see it. We have to uh-huh. talk about it. We Bo have to is know. afraid. Uh, I caught this one in IMAX, in stunning IMAX, and it is pretty crazy to see an Ari Aster vision projected so large and, and, and epic in front of you, particularly considering that this is pretty epic of a movie. It's, it stands at two hours and 59 minutes, and, you know, I, I don't want to say, like... It's slow, but you definitely feel that runtime because Ari Aster is a filmmaker who knows how to punish his audiences. And he does it in a way that I find a lot more compelling than the people behind Evil Dead Rise and films like that. Because he is really working off of like the things that actually make us anxious. I found, you know, this is a film that really does an interesting job of sort of packaging different forms of anxiety and and assaulting the main character with them. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is pretty hysterical here. It's a perform, you know, he's a great actor, but yet uh, this is yet another like side to the type of acting he does that I don't think I've seen before. Like he is so pathetic and, and lost in this movie. I loved his performance in it. You know, I think there are elements of the film that are sort of hard to wrap your head around. Because uh, Ari Aster is not exactly a filmmaker who I think makes it, makes the most, like, uh, I don't know, mainstream, uh, explainable movies. Th- I, I do feel like I get the overarching ideas here. I want to dive back into it. I'll probably see it again before we end up talking in more detail about it. But it is, like, a, a pretty, like, incredible odyssey of anxiety. Um, not the most comfortable to sit with, and I'm sure it's good. It's, you know, I've never seen, I think this is the last time that, I, last time I saw a movie that so aggressively went for like an F cinema score rating was Mother. So maybe that mm-hmm. puts you in the right headspace before going into this one. That said, like, you, you have to see it. Like, the filmmaking is ridiculous. There's some sequences that are some of the most, like, breathtaking that Ari Aster's ever put together. I'm in awe of certain moments of this film and still scratching my head at others. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's my least favorite of Ari Aster's work, but I kind of feel like I've, I feel that way every time I see an Ari Aster movie is that I, I need to sit with it. And then my motivation to watch it again uh, makes me, makes it grow in my estimation. Yeah. I was with hereditary and Midsommar. I thought, Oh, you know, Midsommar, I don't know if it's hereditary and in due time, I was nah, it's up there, so I'm curious. This is also what his last film, right? Because his career is done after this, I think, is what they said. Oh, yeah, it's a the, career the trade, ender, so. right? There yeah. you go. 
Uh, I am excited for it. There is special screenings tomorrow. If you are not on the coast, New York or LA, they are doing some special screenings in IMAX on Tuesday. I've seen them mainly in Regals. So if you do have the chance yeah. to do that, that's a heads up right there. I got one more thing to maybe make you excited for this. What's up? This does have that Babylon-esque feeling of, I'm going to put everything I got into this one. I like that. Yeah. I'm here for that. Uh, you yeah. saw the short, the one that A24 keeps trying to like get rid of. Any connection? Uh, I actually didn't see the short. Oh, you haven't Help seen me the find okay. it. Okay. All right, then. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you had found it. My bad. <laughs> nah, I didn't. All right. Uh, getting into my top five. Last week, I had mentioned a movie uh, in the intro for Holy Spider, but I didn't get the chance to finish it because I had actually seen this movie, Hunger. Then I forgot to mention Hunger. So I guess this is a twofer for Holy Spider and Hunger. Holy Spider, I need you to catch it because I don't know if you caught it. I know Caitlin did. I, I, I want to catch Holy Spider. You did catch it. Okay, we need to talk yeah. about that movie next week because that's not a movie yeah. you could just be like, and Holy Spider. Uh, but right. Hunger, I can't add to the recommendations over here. This is a pretty decent little movie where you kind of have um, what the menu kind of was in a foreign film, in an international film, sorry. Uh, you have a young, talented street cook who uh, gets kind of drafted into going into this really big company called Hunger, where the chef kind of has this mantra that people aren't just out there to consume the food that he's making, but they kind of want to be a part of that whole lore. You know, it's the idea, the status, the the legendary icon that he is that's really bringing people in. And it kind of becomes like a whiplash training element to it, where she may want to uh, be better than the master, but at the same time not want to go through all the abuses that led him to be at the top. So I thought it was a pretty decent uh, Netflix movie. It is a little long, but for the most part, uh, I think what I didn't like about the menu, this gets right. So uh, okay. check this one out. It is over on How Netflix. About, um, you mentioned previously on Intercut that one-shot kitchen movie, Boiling Point. Any, stop, any boy, similarities stop. here? Yeah, just in the tension of the kitchen, right? Just like the bear. Yeah. There's tension that happens in kitchens that burns right. any movie's going to get. Um, so yeah, that, those elements are definitely there, but it, it, it goes more so the route of like the, the master and the apprentice kind of going at each other. Whereas Boiling okay. Point, while it does have those elements, nah, that Boiling Point's better than this one. I loved Boiling Point, so thank you just for mentioning it. Cool. Definitely check out Boiling Point. Um, my next one here was one that we caught at Sundance, and it is now getting a little bit bigger of a release, and I thought had one of the best performances out of the festival. Uh, and she also has another movie coming out, but it is a film called Other People's Children, and where a woman, um, she's in a relationship with a man, and because she doesn't have kids of her own, various reasons, almost kind of adopts this motherly figure in various ways, and I thought it was a very good movie. Uh, like I said, I would highly recommend going out at a music box, IFC, if this is playing. Definitely worth the price of admission. And Chicago Critics just announced... Uh, over here, another movie that she's in that will be released on their end if it pulls up right here, anywhere, wherever it is. It looked pretty good. I'm excited for it whenever I find it. It's playing at Chicago. That's all I know. It's her newest movie, but uh, okay, cool. her performance here really stood out. Uh, where'd it go? In other people's children, so I would highly recommend checking this out. And I'm just going to go back to a lot of her work because I've noticed her in other movies, but she's never stood out like she did in this one. Mm. So, uh, fantastic performance. Same thing over here. I'm not sure if this one's French. I want to make sure I get that right. Let's see. It is a French movie. So let me double it up over nice. here with another French movie. One Fine Morning. Uh, this played at New York. We missed it. Sony was cool enough not to send it to us in New York. But I guess in Chicago, they're like, all right, you're back home. We'll send you a link there. I got to catch it at SIF. And it is just, just French movies 
they know how to just put you in the life of somebody uh, and you just ride with it. This is the story mm-hmm. of a woman who has lost somebody and is trying to start up a new relationship while at the same time taking care of her elderly father who may be sick and is trying to fix some things there. And just following her along, uh, Leah Sado kills it in this performance. Uh, Mia Hansen loves made several movies. To me, this is my favorite of hers. I, I know a lot of okay. people really like, uh, was it Bergman Island? I need to watch yeah. a lot more Bergman to fully get into that. That's like the Marvel 20, 30 movies that you need to watch in order to really get that one. That's the end game right. for Bergman fans out there. But uh, now you don't need to see anything for this one. I, I think it's just a beautiful film uh, that just follows this character. Very and, cool. Yeah, highly recommend it. I would leave the theater for Manny to watch that one as well. My final two here is a series that I have to recommend on Hulu. The whole second season for Single Drunk Female came out. Uh, I use Hulu as my go-to for Abbott. Uh, Grand Crew used to be on there. They moved that elsewhere. Single Drunk Female was also the other little sitcom one that I was watching about a woman who uh, goes to AA and has trouble staying, not staying within it. But it's a beautiful dark comedy. I I really mess with a lot of the characters in this. The whole season, it's not weekly, the whole season two is up there so you can binge it at your leisure. And finally, I heard that one of my favorite Argentinian directors was working on an English feature, so I had to catch it. It's called To Catch a Killer about a killer in Baltimore who has a crazy murder spree. And you have Ben Mendelsohn and Shailene Woodley who are working together to stop this. Damien made one of my favorite movies in Wild Tales. Absolutely freaking adore that movie. If you get one recommendation out of this whole episode, please let it be Wild Tales. This one's decent. It's all right. Uh, You could... um, I've mentioned to you the Tyrell scenario of, uh, like, South American director coming in to talk about American politics. Mm -hmm. It does have a little bit of that going on in there. But for the most part, uh, you know, it's it's a decent little thriller. It is a little bit long. It's just a a minute shy of being two hours. But um, it's definitely a solid rental. If it's playing near you and you can do AMC uh, premiere with it, I'd say go check it out. Um, But I think for most people, it may be better as a thriller at home. Uh, But nonetheless, I thought it was really cool to see him make the jump over here. And I'm curious to see what more... Uh, he does as he's working with more English films. But To Catch a Killer nice. is out next week, along with my recommendation for Single Drunk Female that you can catch over on Hulu both seasons. Also, One Fine Morning, if it's out unlimited, definitely give it a watch. Oh, it's out on VOD. You can watch it at home. Ooh. Okay, no excuse there. One Fine Morning, a beautiful film, uh, alongside Other People's Children, which if that one's on VOD, I highly recommend as well. And then my final one, you can catch it in the comfort of your own home on Netflix. Hunger, Zach, your five. Uh, if you can catch a screening of Bo is Afraid, definitely do that. It expands to more theaters this weekend as well. So, uh, be on the lookout for the latest from Ari Aster. You can also stay at home and catch some great filmmaking in Barry, the Bill Hader show, which returned to HBO Max with two episodes, excuse me, just Max with two episodes and, uh, is wrapping up this year. Oh man, Succession and that ending. What are they going to have, bro? A lot. Uh, j- just winning time in House of the Dragon and uh, all the other stuff. All the other stuff, yeah. It's Max now. It's uh, <laughs> Wildlife, a documentary about the people who made Patagonia. A nice uh, look at conservation efforts and the and nature, just nature in general. So uh, interesting one to have on your radar, which will probably be on Disney Plus at some point, considering yeah. it's a National uh, Geographic, National Geographic yeah. film. Mrs. Davis, a very crazy out there sci-fi action comedy series with Betty Gilpin coming to Peacock. And then finally over on Amazon prime video, 
Dead Ringers, which two features Rachel not Rachel. one, but two, but two Rachel Vices. I like it. I'm telling you, bro. She's she's been going in <laughs> she's been going in some interesting directions and I mess with it. Shout out her. Uh, but that is it for this week's yeah. show. Zach, where can people find more from you? You can find more from me on Twitter, Letterboxd, wherever, at Zshevich, Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And check out my YouTube and TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. Art, how about you? Uh, uh, you can find me over at LME Explain on Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff. But really just every week here on the Intercut Podcast. Yeah. A reminder that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher. You can catch the live video here. A big shout out to everyone who was in the chat. We appreciate y'all for being there. Like we yeah. said, we're about to do a succession spoiler one. So if you haven't Stay seen tuned. it. Man, it was better than last week. That's all I'm going to say right now. That's my type of succession episode. Uh, big shout out to all of the intercuties who listen live, all of the patrons, all the iTunes listeners who leave us those five-star reviews so that we can get some uh, screeners early to get you some reviews. Don't forget to leave us a comment, drop a like, follow the socials over on Intercut Pod. And until next time, keep watching movies and we'll rebrand into Intercut Max. See ya.